Come on in, grab your seats. I am thrilled to see you here tonight. Thanks for coming. We've got some grandparents, some aunties and uncles, some cousins, family that have traveled in for this special night of baptism. So if you're new with us, welcome. And um, we are in the second week of a series going through the book of 1 Timothy. It's in the New Testament toward the back of the book, if you're new to the book. So uh, before I read the text and pray and preach, I want to give you a bit of an announcement, a heads up about next week. Next week, and if you've been around here for any length of time, I've never said this. So I don't like, I got a word from God burning in my soul. I don't do that, right? I do have a word from God. Like every week I come ready for that, but I don't talk like that to you and try to like get you to come to church because I got a word for this week and it's like... I don't do that, but next week I think I'm going to preach one of the more important sermons I've ever preached. Um, It's a really difficult text historically, and I'm going to hope to show you next week why that's unfortunate. And it's a text on women. Women be silent in the church. That's what I'm going to talk about next week. And I'm going to show you how that has been weaponized and, and misused and abused for centuries against women. And so I, I just, if you can come, come. If you can't come, come. <laughs> Next week is going to be a very important week and I don't talk like this, so if I'm talking like this, please believe me, amen. Um, First Timothy series, week two. So what I'll do is I'll read First Timothy 1, eight through 11, and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord. From the Apostle Paul, he says, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. And we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels and the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious. For those who kill their fathers or mothers, yeah, they need the law. Uh, for murderers and for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders, they need the law and liars and perjurers and for what are, uh, whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. Paul talks about the law and it's good and it teaches people who are away to come home. So he says the law is good. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we need you tonight. I do not have anything in my human strength. I can't be clever enough, I can't be witty enough, I can't be wise enough, I can't be tricky with a a convincing talk. This is not about me, this is about the word of the Lord that races and that heals and that instructs and that corrects and that renews and that brings life. So we say, come Spirit of God and speak. We need to hear from you tonight. We pray every distraction be silenced. We pray every bit of anxiety that we've carried in or fear that we've carried in or the big question marks about the future that we've carried in. We pray right now, peace be still. Let the people of God hear from God. So Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our strength and our redeemer. We pray tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. 
I love talking to old people who are at the end of their lives and they're reflecting and they're remembering and they're looking back on their history with God and their history with their people. And they're taking stock, they're reflecting. This book right here that we just read from is Paul as an old man. Paul is getting ready to die. He is locked up in Rome as a political prisoner of the greatest empire that the world had ever seen. And he's writing this letter across the water, past Italy, past Greece, over the bay, and into Ephesus, Turkey, to young Timothy. Timothy is a couple countries away, leading these churches that Paul helped sort of begin, that his teaching, that his, his missionary journey stirred up something in the kingdom of God, and now he's locked up, he's getting ready to die, and he's looking back on his life. He's an old man, getting ready to die, and when you get old, you, your words get more economical, a little more sparse, a little more thoughtful. You want to put a point on the things that you're going to say because you don't, you don't know how much more time you have. This is Paul to young Timothy. And he gets honest about his former life when he reflects back. He, he's, he's showing his cards here. And in verse 12, we'll pick up and he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once, so he's reflecting back, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, and I was a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord for I was shown mercy. Paul, in the name of God, he thought he was doing God a favor. He was running around and harassing and arresting these Christians who were following Jesus. They had left the Jewish faith and they had followed this Jesus who Paul thought was some scoundrel. And so Paul is doing God a favor by going around uh, the ancient uh, Asia Minor region and arresting people with letters from the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Paul is, is there the day that the first Christian martyr, Stephen, is stoned. And it says that they laid their coats at, at, at Saul's feet. So he was an accomplice to murder. He's got, a, he's got a bad history. And he says, I thank God Jesus showed me mercy that I didn't deserve. Can anyone say amen with Paul? <laughs> the, the, anyone have a former life? Now, I don't want you raising your hands and going, that was me. You know, this is rhetorical. This is a rhetorical flourish here. But does anyone have a past? <laughs> does anyone, can anyone go, God showed me mercy and I blew the thing up and I didn't deserve it and somehow some way out of nowhere God came running as the hound of heaven to flush me out of hiding and he drew me into his kingdom Paul said I thank God does anyone remember when they were impossibly stupid does anyone have any embarrassing Saturday nights that they remember some of you have them but you don't remember them <laughs> 
Anyone drink themselves blind at a previous moment in your life or take those hallucinogenic drugs that you just acted a fool and embarrassed yourself and, and you stolen or deceived someone, a friend that trusted you and you duped them and you ran away. Does anyone, have you flown into a blind rage and said things that you wish you could get back but they're just out there, they can never be unsaid? And that kind of, you, you just feel the energy of that when you think about it. Paul is talking about people who've even murdered their parents. I mean, God almighty, like what scoundrels? Like Paul is naming the condition of humankind. Like left to ourselves, we can be really stupid. And Paul says, I was really stupid. I was a violent man. I, I, I was running around the region. I messed up families. I took dads away from their wives and kids. I, 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 I scared the elderly into hiding. Paul is reflecting back and he's honest. He said, I've lied. Has anyone been sexually promiscuous? Has anyone just been stupid? Paul goes, let's tell the truth about where we come from. And I'll just say that self-righteousness is one of the greatest hindrances to the faith of Jesus Christ. Christians walking around as if they don't have a past. Christians walking around as if they're clean. Christians walking around as if God owed them something by bringing them into the kingdom. Paul goes, God didn't owe me anything. In fact, he owed me, he owed me the cross that Jesus took. <laughs> and Paul, he reflects back and he's honest about that moment that he came from. And I'll just say that the Bible will not hold any power for people who pretend to be safe, sanitized suburban saints. The Bible won't hold any power until we're honest about who we are and where we've come from. Has Jesus shown anyone in this place his unspeakable and incalculable mercy? Paul says he did for me, and that's the thing that made my life possible. It's the thing that gave me a new future. That's the thing that picked me up out of the ditch of my own self-righteousness and my own destructive habits. Paul said, I didn't know what I was doing. I acted in ignorance. I was, I was stupid. I was lost. I didn't know up from down. I thought I was on track, but I was actually just gratifying my own malformed desires. You know, looking back as an old man, I can see that I was in it for me in that previous moment in my life, and I was borrowing God to make myself God. That's what Paul is saying. And he said, I didn't know what I was doing. And Jesus on the cross and Lauren Hill both said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Right? Jesus on the cross. He's, he's hung up there. And with his last breath, talk about an economy of words. Talk about having to struggle for every last breath because crucifixion was just a long suffocation. They hang you up there until you can't breathe anymore. And Jesus, with his last, last breaths, he's saying, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Stephen in Acts chapter seven and Acts chapter nine, when Stephen gets stoned and Saul is there, what does he say? He takes the same words, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Have mercy on them. Paul says, I didn't know what I was doing. And it's such a good thing when the people of God learn to walk with a little bit of holy humility. I've not always been wise. I've not always been put together. I've not always been clean. I needed help. I needed someone's mercy, and Jesus showed me his mercy. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the one who keeps coming after us with mercy. So what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came, Paul says. He said, here's a trustworthy saying. I, like, 
Pay attention to a good teacher. Paul wants you to hear the real high points of his argument. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Nobody miss out on this, he says. Please pay attention. You can believe this. You can take it to the bank and cash it. Here's the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the very worst. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And John... The, the disciple whom Jesus loved, later on in his little letter, John, 1 John 3, he said, he that committeth sin is of the devil. John levels about the human condition. He levels about his past and about all of our pasts. And he says, for the devil sinneth from the beginning for this purpose. Here's another big thesis statement from John. So Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus came to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. And John says, for this purpose, the son of God, Jesus was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That he might come to extricate the poison that has taken us over from the inside out. That he might come to rescue us, not just from the devil, but from ourselves. (laughs) Not just from the forces out there, but from the hatred that, that grows inside of us. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. This is what God in Christ came to do. And some of us think, you know, this was just God, a desperate move that God made with Paul because his preaching roster was growing thin, so I gotta save this guy because I need someone to get out there. No, this is what God does with everyone all the time in every generation, on every continent, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. God is always coming to save sinners. God is always coming to destroy the works of the devil. God is always coming to flush us out of hiding and out into the glorious light of life in his kingdom. Christ came to save sinners. So I'll just say forgiveness and salvation and renewal and restoration are the currency of the kingdom of God. This is what he does. This is what he's about. And in any moment like this, I come into rooms like this and moments like this and I can almost feel what some of you are thinking. I can almost hear you, I can, I can perceive or intuit what is carried into this room on a weekly basis and some of you have felt so much same shame that you've just stayed away. That you put your head down, you don't wanna make eye contact with God, you don't wanna make eye contact with people who you know, who, who know. You just wanna kinda keep moving around, la, 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 la. And, and because of what you've done, because of your past, because of your stories, because of those moments of embarrassment, you, you just wanna keep your head down and keep on moving. And if Genesis 3 has anything to teach us, it's at, at least going to teach us that when we mess up, we run and hide. <laughs> we go and tuck away, we, we wanna get out of there. But in the Gospels, Jesus never turns away anyone who comes to him with honest humility. Jesus never turns anyone away. Shame is the devil's ploy to try to get us to shut down and to get us to stop in our, in our story, to get us to live as if those moments of our past are the most defining moments of our past. But, but in the Gospels, Jesus never turns away anyone who comes to him with honest humility. He said in John six thirty seven. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. 
Now, plenty of people, like understand that plenty of people walked away. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and heard what Jesus was asking of him and it says he went away sad. There are plenty of people who don't want to pick up their cross and deny themselves and follow Jesus. It's not that, it's not that we don't choose to walk away, but anyone who comes to Jesus with honest humility has never ever been turned away. And so if you are carrying shame tonight, if you're remembering those moments of the past and you haven't come and dealt with them and sort of put them out in the open with the Lord, he will never turn away any of us that come to him with honest humility. But the gospel story gets better. Jesus Christ comes to save sinners. He doesn't turn anyone away, but Paul takes it a step further when he's talking to young Timothy. And he says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. The grace was poured out abundantly along with, it wasn't just grace that kind of covered my sins. It wasn't God's just gift of a one time of, yeah, that's fine, I'll wash it away. He gave me grace, yes he did, but along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. He didn't just give me grace, he gave me faith. Faith for what? Yes, I was stupid, but the Lord gave me grace, but he didn't just give me grace, he gave me faith. Faith to believe that the future could be different. Faith to believe that I could be different. Faith to believe, I mean, this is what Paul is saying. He remembers that he was there at the death of Stephen. He remembers how many people he threw in prison. He's not trying to whitewash his past, but he says God didn't just give me grace, he also gave me faith to believe that there was a new future out in front of me, that Jesus could make me clean again, that Jesus could make me whole, that Jesus could actually send me back out into the world. He's not just rescuing me from hell, but he's sending me back out to do the work of the ministry, faith, he's given him faith. Faith and boldness that you can actually contribute. And isn't it interesting that the apostle that maybe did more for the message of Jesus than anybody else in the first century considered himself to be the worst sinner around? So if God can save Saul, who becomes Paul, I think he can do something with us. I think he can do something with you. You think you blew your story up irretrievably. I, I think he, he's pretty decent at this. If God could raise Jesus from the dead, I, I think your story's fine. We think that we are the one exceptional case that, yeah, God, he's doing all these great things with all those people out there, but you don't know me. I, maybe I don't, but I do know that if he can save Saul, he can save you. If he can raise Jesus, he can raise you. If he can give faith and strength and boldness back to someone who murdered people and run around the known world imprisoning Christians, we're going to be just fine if we'll come to Jesus with honest humility. Some of you have been bound to a false belief that your life will never amount to more than your most embarrassing moment. It's not true. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith that there's a future out there. That this is the God who forgives us of the past, but this is a God who curates a future for us. That he's not just buying time for heaven. That he, and when we see him, he's not gonna have a furrowed brow. Like, it's clean, it's good, it's been washed, it's been dealt with. I'll never turn anyone away who comes to me with humility. Now let's go. <laughs> Friends, do not let the devil lie to you with this false belief that your most embarrassing moment is the truest thing about you. It's not. God's love for you is the truest thing about you. 
But Paul doesn't just talk about this grace and bold faith. He says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the love. I remember coming here 17 and a half years ago to this church, and there was a family that was kind of a, a, a pillar family in the church. And they'd been around since the founding of the church, which at that point was about 20 years. And good reputation, honorable, strong marriage, their kids had been following Jesus. You know, like just, it was working. Praise the Lord. And these people had been faithful. And then their oldest son blew his life up with stupidity and foolishness. And it was this like, it wasn't just one thing. It, it was like this season of this long protracted, when will it stop? And he just kept going and he just kept going and he just kept going and he was in the court and he was in the prison and he was, and, and it ripped people off. He, at, at one point he'd taken, I think, a couple hundred thousand dollars of his parents' retirement. He duped them of it and he'd squandered. I mean, like he makes the prodigal son look like a Catholic schoolgirl, you know? And it just kept going. I'm like, what is, and, and you see at this moment, the parents just, oh. first with the anguish of their son. I mean, the, my son, is he gonna live? Is he gonna be okay? Is he ever gonna come out of this? Will he ever be clean again? Will he ever be free of these addictions again? What, what is going on with our son? So there's that just right there, the parents' love for their child. But then there's also your reputation which for 20 years had been strong and people knew what they were getting when they were with these people and, it just, and, and they were carrying it well. They weren't proud, but now all of a sudden there's the, there's the heartbreak, but there's also, and this is where the enemy really works, it's called embarrassment and shame. It wasn't just trying to drive their son into hiding. The, the enemy was trying to drive their family into hiding. And it, it was probably 18 months of just hell on earth for this family with this son who'd been throwing his life away. And the story kind of went silent. I, it, there were people here on our team who knew them well before I came and they were tracking with them, but I hadn't, I hadn't really known what was going on. And a couple years ago, I was walking through a King Super here in town King Supers, is it Supers, Super, King, Su King, it's always King, the KS, I was walking through KS. <laughs> King Supers. And these parents in the last 15 years had aged 15 years and had gotten to a, a later stage in their life. And in King Supers, there's this son. He's pushing the cart with his aging parents and I immediately remembered a couple hundred thousand dollars being stolen and squandered and thrown away, just robbing your parents. The addiction, the shame, the embarrassment, the, the cycle. He kept doubling down on the madness. He kept digging deeper. He kept digging, like, just stop. But he didn't stop. He kept going. And all of a sudden, in, in a flash of a second, all of that rushes back to me. But what I see with my eyes is a son pushing a cart for his elderly parents, and they are crazy about their boy. Mom wasn't walking down aisle seven going, you fool, you, 
Do you know what you... She was just following her son who was pushing the cart for her. And she, I mean, she looked at... We stopped and talked. And it was three people in front of me with explosive joy, with incredible tenderness and hope. And like, they, they acted as if it had not even happened. There was no, like, residual, like, oh, what's Daniel thinking or looking at... They were like, Daniel... I was the one that was wondering if they were wondering. And they were like, you see our boy? He's like 50 now. And they thought, I mean, it was like I look at my little 10-year-old or my 13-year-old or my 15-year-old, just googly-eyed. They can do no, I'm just crazy about my kids. Their son is 50, they're pushing up to 80, and they're watching him and King Supers push the cart, and they just cannot get enough of their son because their son who was dead is alive. Their son who was lost has now been found. And look, when, when you get someone back like that, who gives a dang about what they, $200,000? Who cares? I have my son in King Super. And he's walking me around and he's gonna usher me into my rest. I got my kid back. Friends, we can believe in a God. Many of us are fine with a God that forgives, but fewer of us are actually believe that he's a God who can love on the backside of our stupidity. Like, okay, fine, yeah, you were stupid, but I'm gonna make you pay for it the rest of our lives. We think that that's what God is like. Those parents in King Supers, they didn't have a shred of that on them, and they are just a glimpse of the love of the perfect father over us on the backside of our stupidity. He does not walk down aisle seven of our lives going, and remember when, and remember when, and I told you, and I put the book right in front of you, and you went to Christian school, and your parents took you. Who wants to live like that? I'll just stay away. I I won't come home. That's not a home to come back to. But thankfully, that's not the home that we do come back to. We come back to the home where the God walks down aisle seven and goes, my son, who is dead, is alive. And my daughter, who was lost, has now been found. And it doesn't get any better. When I was there in King Supers that day, you know, the the story that came back to me, watching the parents look at their boy, who's 50, was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown in the fiery furnace, and it says after they came out, their clothes were not singed, and they didn't even smell like smoke. (laughs) I saw that 50-year-old guy, and I knew what happened. His clothes were not singed. And he did not smell like smoke. His parents did not make him pay for it. His parents did not shame him. His parents did not embarrass him. His parents did not hang that over his head. They said, my boy is alive. And Paul says to young Timothy, God gave me grace. And he gave me faith. He also gave me love. When I came home after being a blasphemer and being a violent man and after arresting people and after participating and being an accomplice to murder, I wondered what I would get when I came home and you know what I got? I got a dad who gave me grace 
friends, please come home. Please. If my kid was lost, I don't care what you did. Come home. And that me. Some of you feel so stupid. Please, come home. That's the devil. That's not your father. Some of you feel like you'll never overcome the storylines that other people know about. I'm going to walk into King Supers one day, and i got to bump into people that I don't want to see. That's the devil. God is saying, come home. Frankly, who cares what other people think? If the Father says, let's go, let's go. There's grace for you tonight. There's faith for you to rise up tonight. You will get your power back. You're not just going to be forgiven. You're going to be strong again. I, don't, I didn't plan to talk about this, but I feel it in my bones right now. Like You're not just going to be forgiven. You're going to be strong you got a future. You're going to kick butt and take names again. You're going to get your stride back. You're going to get your flow back. You're going to get your bounce and your step back. You're going to take, you're going to, you're going to take it back. You're going to live into your identity as an image bearer of God. You're going, to, you're going to feel the love of your parents again. You're going to feel the embrace of your God again. You're going to love taking, taking yourself back into that King Supers and bumping into those people so that they can be surprised that your clothes weren't singed and you don't even smell like smoke. You're going to get your power back. And you're going to live as a child that has been loved from all eternity and will be loved through all eternity because this is who our God is. Can you say amen tonight, church? Praise the Lord. Tonight, we get to baptize some folks. And we get to watch this story in real time. There's going to be some kids here who from their very first moments have said, Jesus is it. (laughs) I love those stories. Where from the womb, God captured their hearts. And these kids are clean and they're going down and they're coming up and it's just off to the races. There's some of those stories. There's also some of these Paul stories tonight where they can look back and they see a history and they see all that. And they're going to find grace tonight. They're going to find faith tonight. They're going to find love tonight. And so tonight what I want us to do is to just stir up our hearts and stir up our faith. And let's not mail this moment in. If we ever get tired of baptism, I quit. If we ever lose our imagination for what's happening here tonight, we better wake up. So tonight, I want us to lean in. I want us to lend our faith. I want us to lend our yes. I want us to shout. I want us to lift our hands. We're gonna sing here in just a minute. We're gonna call the baptismal candidates up, but I'm asking you right now to be ready for this moment because don't look now, but the kingdom of God is coming and the will of God is being done on the earth as it is in heaven, amen? So 
I would like now to invite the baptismal candidates up to the stage and I would like you to go crazy for them right now. frames. What's up, my guy? Hi. You good? Guys? Church. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you some questions. And look, we got the like first through fifth graders coming in. This is one of my favorite things that we do at Friday night. We bring in all the kids because some of them have been baptized and they want to celebrate with their friends, but some of them are going to be baptized and they need to see what it's like. And so would you welcome the kids that are coming in right now to the service? Okay, you 13, I am so proud of you. We are so proud of you. We are thankful for you. We're emotional about this because this is a beautiful thing. This is a moment in the kingdom of God. It's a moment in your lives and you're crossing over into fresh territory and you'll never go back. You're going to go down in the waters of baptism tonight and you're going to come up a new person in Jesus. Doesn't mean you've been bad and, and you've thrown your life. Like, you, you, you kids, you've been following Jesus. Look at all you. You're so sweet. But you're going you're gonna to have a moment in time where you say, you know what? I have decided. It's not just my parents. It's not just my friends. But I tonight am deciding to follow Jesus. No turning back for the rest of my life. I'm with Jesus. That's what I hear you saying. And, and, and you adults got a little more mileage, you've lived, you've seen pain, you've wept bitter tears, you've been betrayed at times, you've, you've done some things that you wish you hadn't. Welcome to humanity. And I just say to you tonight, the Father's so glad to have you home. So glad to have you home. And you're going to get power back tonight, you're going to get faith back tonight. Grace is all over you. And it's going to lead you forward. So you 13, I'm going to ask you four questions that have been being asked of Christians in baptism since at least 100 AD, probably closer to like 50 AD. But at least 1900 years, we know that Christians all over the world have been asked these four questions. And it's out of the Nicene Creed, which is the church and the church universal statement of faith. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come down here with the congregation and all of us are excited to hear your profession of faith. You're saying in front of God and in front of all your favorite people that I have decided. I believe in God the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Spirit. I believe in the church. Okay, so question number one, do you believe in God the Father, the Almighty, the maker 
of heaven and earth? If so, please say real strong, I do. Let's try that again. If so, please say real strong, I do. Very good. Can we celebrate that profession of faith? Second question, and this is the long one, okay? So just hang with me here. It's the whole story of Jesus. Do you believe in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, that he is eternally begotten of the Father, that he has always been, that he is true God from true God, that he was begotten, not made, that he is of one being with his Father, through whom all things were made? Do you believe that Jesus came down from heaven and was born of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary and was made man? Do you believe that he was crucified and that he died and that he rose again on the third day? Do you believe that Jesus is the living one from among the dead and that he ascended unto heaven and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father? And do you believe Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead? If you believe in this Jesus, please say, I do. Can we celebrate their profession of faith? Third question. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father? In other words, do you believe that God has sent his Holy Spirit to live in you, to help you have the power to walk this life out? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? If so, please say, I do. And we celebrate their profession of faith. Okay, fourth, final question. Do you believe in these people, the church, and the church global, that people in every country on planet Earth that speak different languages, that look different than you, do you believe in that church, everyone who said yes to Jesus, do you believe in the forgiveness of all your sins, that when you go under the water, all that stuff is being washed away? Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead, that death will not be the end of our story? And do you believe in the life of the world to come? If so, please give me the heartiest I do. Church, can we please celebrate? Now stand, church, stand with me. Okay, so what I want you to see is you all made your declaration of faith to God and to your people. It's public, right? And now, church, what I'm asking you to do is to lend your yes and your amen over them tonight. So they did their part, and now let's do our part. Would you stretch out your hands? And before I lead us in prayer, I want you to begin to speak life over them. I want you to begin to speak peace over them. I want you to begin to speak blessing over them. I want you to begin to speak that God would provide for them all the days of their life. Come on, church. This is not a spectator sport. Give them your very best. Say yes over what the Spirit is doing here tonight with these 13 wonderful people. Lord, right now, we lay hands on our brothers and sisters. And we say, Lord, let your kingdom come. And let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we celebrate tonight the miracle of new birth in Jesus. We celebrate. How good can it get? The God who calls us out of darkness and into marvelous light. The God 
who makes us holy, the God who stands us up on our feet, the God who gives us grace and forgiveness and faith and love, the God who washes away all the stupidity, the God who has purpose for us in the future. And so, Lord, tonight, over our brothers and sisters, we speak blessing. And we thank you that they will live long lives of obedience to Jesus. I pray that they would grow old. They'd follow Jesus all the days of their lives. And in Jesus' name, we rebuke the devourer who would come to steal and kill and destroy. In Jesus' name, we, we pray protection over them. Lead them not into temptation. Deliver them from evil. Surround them with angels. Psalm 91 says, he will give his angels charge over you to keep you safe in all your ways. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. God will keep you from falling. The spirit of God will lead you forward. You will be strong and very courageous. You will not live in fear. You will live with boldness. You will live in hope. You will live in power. You will live in strength. The joy of the Lord will be your inheritance. Joy of the Lord. The world needs you to be joyful because the world is sad. So Lord, we pray that you'd fill them with the spirit of your joy. We pray that you would empower them. And Lord, we pray that whatever jobs they do in the future, that they would be missionaries of Jesus. Lord, whatever they do with their lives, that they would tell the good news, that Jesus is the one who raises us up and who forgives us and who washes us. So Lord, tonight, we pray over our friends. We love them. We thank you for them, and we pray that you would empower them. We pray tonight, Lord, bless them and keep them and make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your countenance upon all 13 of these wonderful people, and we pray that you would grant them peace tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all of New Life Friday Night said. Can we celebrate with them right now? Okay. You all can go down right there and start a line. Go ahead and go down. All right, here's the instructions. The party now begins. Please become undignified in the presence of God. I want you to get just loose. I want you to shout. I want you to dance. I want you to throw things. I want you to come down front, circle up. It's going to be on the screen. And when someone goes down and comes back up, I want there to be a roar, an eruption, okay? All 13. So let's celebrate as we worship Jesus for what he's doing here tonight.